Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Good morning. Welcome to Fairview Church. It's 2022. It's very, very exciting. If you would, uh, go ahead and stand with me one more time. We're going to read our passage of scripture out this morning out loud. So repeat it with me, please, um, in honor of his word today. It comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are in 2022. It's a brand new year. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Okay, you're like me, you've given up. Well, can I tell you the trick of making promises? You only make promises on stuff you know you can do. Like, I promise I'm gonna eat more cake this you know, year or something like that. Like, you know, something that you know is not gonna be a problem. That's how you, you do it. No, but really, this is the time of year that we think through habits and how they shape us. We think about habits that we are to embrace and we think about habits that we should probably resist and avoid. For example, normally this time of year, it comes down to physical health, right? I think we've all been there at some point where we said, you know what, I think I want to get healthier this year. So I need to embrace the gym more, or I need to embrace eating salad more. I probably need to resist drinking soda, and I probably need to resist having large portion sizes, right? That is a part of being healthy. And what we understand is that the habits that we make impact our physical bodies. It's the daily routines and habits that actually end up transforming our health. And the same is true when it comes to our spiritual health. The habits that we embrace, the habits that we resist, transform our spiritual walk with Christ. And so what I want us to do over the next, what we're going to do today, and then the next two weeks, we're going to be in a series called The Common Rule, and we're going to be talking about habits. All right, we're going to be talking about habits that we can instill in our lives that help us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, but it's also going to help us love our neighbor as ourselves. And so what I want us to do this morning, I want us to look at a 30,000 foot view on habits and how they impact our life. And then what I want us to do is look at three habits in particular that allow us to love our neighbors better. In Romans chapter 12, oh, excuse me, I forgot to mention this too. So the common rule, I need to mention this, the common rule, the series that we're doing, the the, the thematic elements of it, so the, the graphics, this wonderful graphic you got on the back of here, right, with all the stuff. Those are the habits that we're going to be walking through. This comes from Justin Early's book uh, called The Common Rule. And he has a phrase that I just want to start off our time with uh, that he mentions in his book. And it's the premise of his book, but it's also kind of a driving understanding and a background of what we're going to be talking about this morning. He says this, your habits 
will never change God's love for you. But God's love for you can and should change your habits. And so what we're going to be thinking about is how habits transform us and shape us. When we look at Romans chapter 12, what we see is a hinge point in the book. Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11 is all about this term that we call justification. justification. It's all about being saved, how God saves us. In essence, it tells us that we all fall short of the glory of God. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's acceptance of us, that he loves us and graciously gives that to us as a free gift. There's nothing. Our works cannot attribute to the salvation that we are given by God. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who put their faith in him. But what's interesting in the book of Romans is that the first part is about this justification But the second part from chapter 12 on is all about sanctification. It's about spiritual formation. In fact, he lists habits and practices that you should have in your daily life so that you can grow in your love of God and grow in your love and service to others. And so this, these two verses is the hinge point in this book. It's where we go from our salvation in Christ only through him to how do we live that life out? So when he says here in Romans chapter 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, he's saying this is all about God. God supplies us all the mercies and grace that we need in order to accomplish this. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. Worship is more than coming together corporately on Sunday, which is important. It's about, but it is about living our every day as a sacrifice to God. That means our will is sacrificed to him. Our dreams are sacrificed to him. Our wants and desires are sacrificed to him. It means that we surrender daily to him. No matter what it is, we are to give our lives as a living sacrifice And then it says, do not be conformed to this age. This term conform means to pattern your life like everything else around you. It means to not see what the world does and say, that's what I need to be. If you create habits in the pattern of the world, you will become like the world. And so he says, don't be conformed. Don't make these patterns, these habits in this age. But instead, he says, be transformed. The word there is metamorphosis. Literally, be changed by what? By the renewing of your mind so that you can understand God's will for your life. And the rest of Romans is saying, how can I transform my mind? How can I know God's will? How can I live, serve him and love him? How can I do that? Well, here's a bunch of examples on how you can do that throughout the rest of Romans. The point that this is trying to make in the first two verses is this, that transformation of your mind does not happen by accident. You have habits, whether or not you think you have habits. You have bad habits that you need to resist and you have good habits that you need to embrace. Maybe you have good habits that you need to maintain and maybe there's some bad habits that you need to kick to the curb. 
But Paul's not the only one who references this. Jesus talks about this. In Matthew chapter five through seven, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is acting as this uh, Moses figure. Moses is the Old Testament uh, leader who gave the Israelites the law. This is how you love and please God. This is how you live a life following Yahweh. And Jesus stands up in front of this crowd of people and he says, here's how, I, here's how we complete that law. You have heard it said, but I say to you. He gives us things to embrace, like the Beatitudes, being meek, pure of heart, being peacemakers. And he gives us things to resist, retaliation, anger, bitterness. He tells us to fast. He tells us to pray and shows us how to do those things. He tells us to resist pride. At the very end of the sermon, he says, you cannot tell a good tree, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And then he finishes his whole entire sermon with saying this, the one who hears and does my word is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But the one who hears but does not do what I have commanded is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The point that Jesus is making here on the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount is this. There is an expectancy for the follower of Christ to hear and do what Christ has called us to do. That this life that we have with Christ, we do not earn it. We don't earn salvation. But the transformation, spiritual transformation, what happens in our lives, our works, help us grow in our love for God and love for other people. There's an expectancy that you will follow Christ and do what he commands and practice habits in your life. So if Romans tells us that we are transformed by God, but we're also transforming in our habits and our practices to become more like him. And if Matthew tells us there's an expectancy to follow God, if you want to be a part of his kingdom, we ask the question then, why? To what goal? To what end do we do these things? Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, someone asks Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus uh, responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And so somebody asks God, how do I have a life that follows what you want for me? He says, love God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the things in our lives that we need to orient our heart towards. And so any habit, any practice, anything that we put into our lives needs to help us in that result. The result of loving God more and loving our neighbor as ourselves. If it's a habit that does not do those things, then it may just be a habit to resist. The Christian experience is not about receiving our faith, our salvation in Christ, and then just forgetting about him. The Christian experience is experiential. There is spiritual formation that God wants in our lives. And the only way to experience spiritual formation is through participation, not 
spectating. It's about not watching a football game, but actually playing in the football game, right? You can't learn a sport. You can learn something about a sport by watching, but you don't really learn it until you are playing it. We need to not be spectators, but participators. But I need to warn you of two, before we jump into the practices, I want to warn you of two major dangers. There are two dangers to avoid, and here they are. The two dangers to avoid are becoming too legalistic or too leisurely with our relationship with God. On one hand, we become legalistic, and we believe that it's our works, our habits that are somehow allowing us to stay in this relationship with God. That God loves me because I'm doing these habits. It all depends on me. The opposite side is being too leisurely. It's saying, you know what? Because I don't want to become legalistic. I'm not going to do anything. If God wants me to grow in my relationship with God, then somehow, miraculously, he's going to have to do it in my life with me not participating whatsoever. It's too leisure. Let me put it like this. In a human relationship. Let's say this new year, I wanted to make one of my focuses, Amber, my wife and I's relationship, and I wanted to uh, show her more acts of kindness and love. And so I schedule a babysitter for every Friday night, every Friday night. And for the first few months, we go on multiple date nights to somewhere fancy, Zaxby's, okay? So good. Um, Anyways, (laughs) the Zax sauce is so good. Anyways, so... I take her out every Friday. We are growing in our relationship because we're having time away from our boys to talk, right? We're having time to talk about life, what God's doing in our lives, you know, that kind of stuff. Like we're, we're actually having time focused on each other. It's really great. Well, what if I start feeling the pressure of, I need to make sure this date on Friday happens because otherwise Amber may not want to be married to me anymore, right? The babysitter cancels last minute and I start freaking out that Amber's gonna leave me because I didn't take her on a date this Friday night. Obviously, we think that's absurd, right? Because we have a great relationship outside of that. But that's the pressure that legalism puts on you. It's to say, well, if I don't do this, if I do that, then somehow I'm either, God's not gonna want to be with me anymore. He's not gonna want to, to have a relationship with me or he's gonna take his salvation away from me if I don't do these things. That's legalism. That's what we want to avoid when we talk about habits. That's not healthy. It's not healthy, healthy in a relationship with other people because it robs their opportunity of giving us love selflessly. But it's not healthy for our relationship with God as well because it robs him the ability to love us selflessly as well. It boils it all down to a transaction. But then we have leisure. We don't want to be too leisurely with our relationship with God. We see in scripture this thing about being lazy, being lukewarm, not really caring. This would be like me telling Amber, our wedding, uh, the, the day of our wedding, you know, that ceremony was so good. It was amazing. Man, I'm so glad that I'm married to you and I got this ring. This is so awesome. I love you so much. But just to let you know, just so I can set the expectation for this marriage, um, you know, maybe I'll think about you a few times during the week and maybe I'll listen to somebody else talk about you for like 30 minutes once a week. But as far as like, you know, me actually talking with you and spending time with you, um, I'm probably just not gonna do that. So if you want this relationship to work, uh, it's all on you. 
You would think that's insane, right? And that's the reality of leisurely, being too leisure. It's saying that I'm going to depend everything on God to help me grow, which we do depend on him to give us his mercy to help us grow. But it's by saying, you know what, God, I'm going to do nothing. And that's not what we see in scripture. The middle road that we see in scripture recognizes that we are saved through our faith because of Christ and him alone. Not as a result of our works, but that our works, because of our love for God, have an impact on the depth of our relationship with God. Your love for God will never surpass your devotion to him. See, the Bible is about a transformed life. A life that is saved by God. But it is also about a transforming life. One that is renewing its mind and becoming more like Christ through our practices and our habits. See, habits support our growth in Christ. They are there to help us. Let me put it like this. How many of y'all ever been to Vineyard? Been to Vineyard? Come on, folks. I know we're Baptists, but you can be honest. You've been to a Vineyard. All right. All right. Vineyards are nice. How many of you seen a picture of a Vineyard? All right. There we go. Perfect. Well, hey, let's show a picture. Now you have. Now you're going to see a picture of a vineyard. So here's the deal. I don't know if you know how vineyard grapes are grown, but this is how they're grown if you didn't know. So it starts out with a small little shoot at the bottom. And they have this wire that they want the the grapes to go on this way, and they want to grow up and grow out. But the problem is that little shoot can't make it to the first wire without some support, without some help. And so they bring in something called a trellis. It's normally just like a piece of wood or something like that, right? They, they put this trellis in to allow the vine to grow up so then then it can grow out. It's just a support and it's just a help. It helps the vine grow up and grow out. The same is true with our spiritual formation. We need things in our lives that act as this trellis as this piece of wood that helps our spiritual growth go up and out. It's just a resource. And so when we talk about these habits that we get from the common rule, they're just a resource. It's just a trellis, but it's an important one. It's something that can help support us as we grow in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So let's talk about the first habit By the way, all these will be on this, so put this on your fridge. We'll talk about the rest of those for the next two weeks. But first, habit. A daily meal with others. A daily meal with others. Meal time is pivotal. Some of us schedule our days around meals. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. It's important, right? We, we schedule our lives. If we have a really nice dinner that we want to go to, we cancel plans, right? That's how important meals are to us. It reminds me of this scene in Lord of the Rings um, with uh, Aragorn is leading the hobbits. They're trying to run away from the enemies that are chasing them. Anyways, Aragorn says to these hobbits, he says, gentlemen, we do not stop till nightfall. When Pippin, one of the hobbits says, but what about breakfast? Which his reply is, you've already had breakfast. Pippin replies, well, we've had one breakfast, 
But what about second breakfast and elevensies and afternoon tea? What about supper? What about dinner? Have you heard of these, right? Because it's so important. It's important to the hobbits. It's important in our lives. It was even important to Jesus. Tim Chester in his book, A Meal with Jesus, writes in the Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. When we look at the gospels, what we notice is that almost every one of Jesus's major teachings is around a table with food. And when he doesn't have food, either the disciples are getting food in town or he's multiplying food to feed people. It's crazy. We see his inauguration of Jesus. The story of the wedding feast is around food. Luke chapter five, the calling of Levi, the tax collector, is around a table at Levi's house. All of Jesus' first confrontations with the Pharisees and the Gospels are around a dinner table. A woman interrupts one of those meetings, one of those dinner times in Luke chapter 7 to ask forgiveness of Jesus. And it's the first, really one of the first times you see Jesus forgiving sins. We have stories like Martha and Mary, where Martha is so busy around the house getting food ready that she misses out on what Jesus says is the good portion that Mary received being in the presence of Christ and being there. One of the best parables to understand who's invited into the kingdom of God is about a feast. Those who were given the invitation to the feast rejected it, but now God is calling the people from outside to come into this feast. For crying out loud, the Lord's Supper is a feast. Acts chapter two, we see the church eating together constantly. Justin Early recognizes this. He says, the central promise of salvation is that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, God and his people will eat again. The end of the world culminates not in clouds and harps, but it culminates in a feast. At the wedding supper of the lamb, the divine presence is restored to us over a table of food. It's at the table where we all have something in common. We all need to eat. We can embrace each other, our neighbors, in the one place that we have all in common. That means the great commission to go out and teach people about Christ and show him, show him his love. One of the greatest opportunities we have for that is at our dinner table. Everyone needs to eat. Even the people you don't like need to eat. So invite them over. You want to know how you can share gospel community and love with other people? Just use your table. Just use what God has given you. Now listen, a meal with others can be your neighbor and it can be others, but it can also be your family. In a day where busyness is, I mean, we're so busy all the time that dinner time can be really hard to find. But I can tell you that I miss out on my relationship with my boys and with Amber when I don't have dinner with them. And here's why. Dinner time or meal time is a place where you can actually find out about each other's day. It's where you can talk to one another, talk about what God is teaching you. You can pray together. It's where you laugh together when it's my turn to cook and we end up having to order pizza. It's the reality. It's time where you can focus on one another because what's going to happen as soon as you're done eating? 
Mom, dad, can I go play? Right? They're already thinking about something else. It's so important that we use our dinner times for those of us that have little ones in our home in order to accomplish discipleship. This habit is so important because it's common to everybody. Early writes this, we were made to eat. So the table must be the center of of gravity. The habit of making time for one communal meal each day forces us to reorient our schedules and our space around food and each other. The more the table becomes our center of gravity, the more it draws our neighbors into gospel community. You want to be like Jesus. Leverage your dinner time, leverage your meal time in order to bring people into gospel community. Habit number two, weekly one-hour conversation with a friend. You can do this in a number of ways. This could be setting an appointment each week to go out to coffee. If health was one of your New Year's resolutions, you can go to the gym and talk while you're running on the treadmill, which I never got, by the way, because I need all my breath when I'm on a treadmill. And I just know how you do that. But if you can do that, good on you. So it can be done in a, a lot of different ways to have this weekly conversation. But the question is, why would you do this? Why have a weekly conversation? We know Jesus poured into his disciples and had deep conversations more than once a week, right? But for once a week for us, like why would we do something like this? Well, early gives us this understanding. We were made for each other. We can't become lovers of God and neighbor without intimate relationships where vulnerability is sustained across time. In habitual face-to-face conversations with each other, we find a gospel practice. We are laid bare to each other and loved anyway. See, having someone that you trust, that you're having intentional conversations with, as a habit, as a routine, allow you to be vulnerable in the way that God actually sees you. See, sometimes we can think about uh, God and how he knows us intimately and knows all of our faults. And they'd be like, yeah, we know that because he's God. But when we actually share those things, when we are vulnerable with another person, it actually does something to us. We actually feel something laying our heart, our, you know, laying it out to bear out all things. And that's a good thing. And at the end of the day, what this, this habit does is it allows us to have real, genuine, honest, vulnerable relationships. For all of his faults and egregious sins, King David did in the Old Testament, God gifted him friends. In a moment of King David's life in 1 Samuel where he is depressed, he's in a very dark place, Jonathan hears of this He picks up everything he has and he travels, I think it was like 70 miles or something like that, which is a lot back then, folks, to go see King David. That's commitment. When David is full in his sin, he has someone like Nathan to come and to confront him. In David's early life, when he has not yet understood what God was calling him to be, he has Samuel, who anoints him as king. We need friends in our lives 
that will be committed to us in an age where commitment is only as good as what you can give me. We need friends like Nathan who will call us out on our sin in an age where really the only sin is to be okay with sin. We need someone like Samuel who will call us out and what God's trying to do in our life. We need friends who will celebrate with us when we need to celebrate, but we need friends who will mourn with us when we were going through tragedy. The only way you have friendships like this is to participate and invest. It's the only way. The only way that we can have friendship like this is to do what John 15, 12 and 13 tells us. That this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. This weekly conversation with the friend is, yes, it's for you and your growth. But it's also about their growth. You are called by Christ to be this type of friend with another person. And a weekly conversation will help you in that regard. The last habit is this. One hour with our phone off daily. This is for the benefit of others because we cannot be fully attentive with our cell phones on. We are so addicted to our screen and to our cell phones that the mere thought of the sound, ooh, I may have gotten a text message, a text message, or, oh, that must be a notification. Just a mere thought, mere thought that you might have that distracts you. The great, well, really the greatest university in the country, Florida State University, uh, did a study. I'm just kidding. They are good, but not the greatest. All right. Florida State did a study where they talked about the impact that cell phones have on our attention. They said in the study that if you think with your, that your phone's on, if you know that your phone's on and you think you might have a text message or a notification, you will be distracted and you cannot fully comprehend like arguments. Like you were just, the thought of that, like some of you right now are like, yeah, I'm fully in tune with your message. Okay. But at some point during this message, somebody thought they had a text message and they were like, what? And they looked away for a second, right? Because they, they, they had that fear, right? That they're missing something. You can't be fully attentive without turning your phone off. Justin Early says it like this. We are made for presence, but so often our phones are the cause of our absence. To be, the two, to be two places at a time is to be in no place at all. Turning off our phone for an hour a day is a way to turn our gaze to each other, whether that be children, coworkers, friends, or neighbors. Our habits of attention are habits of love. To resist absence is to love neighbor. We see Mary and Martha. Martha was busy. She was distracted and she missed out on the presence of God. We are called... In our, it's going to be less eloquent than what Early says, but in our house, we say, be where your butt is. So you're called to be, be, be where your butt is. Be present. Be there. Be present. Turn your phone off. And I'll conclude with this. 
God is calling us to live a life of practice, a way to live that loves God with all of our heart and soul and mind, and one that's calling us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We see Christ regularly convening around a meal to not only teach, but to show love in the gospels. He uses meals as a way of bringing people into gospel community. Jesus is present with his people. And even in the midst of distraction, in the gospels when he's being tempted or in the garden of Gethsemane where he's wanting a different way, he reminds himself on God's word to be present. Your will be done, not mine. Jesus is is even the greatest friend. He's better than Nathan. He confronted sin. Jesus tells the people that they are dead in their sin, but he's also a greater Samuel. He's calling people out. He's saying, this is who you are, sons and daughters, if you follow me. But he's also a greater Jonathan. He did more than just travel a few miles to help a friend. Jesus traveled from heaven to earth to commit his life to being sacrificed on the cross for us and our sin. So that in turn, because of his mercy and his grace and his salvation that he gives us, then now we can grow in our relationship with him. We can go through our sanctification. We can spiritually form by developing habits in our lives that help us to give our life as a spiritual act of worship each day. So whether that's a daily meal with a person or a weekly conversation with a friend, or maybe it's as simple as turning your phone off so that you can be present. All of those things help us not only to love God more and better, but help us to love others as ourselves. And when we do that, we see the transformation of our mind. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.